Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm a feminist, but once when I got pulled over for an illegal maneuver by a cop, I cried and said I'm just a mum, and he let me off with a warning. Did you use the turn of phrase, just a mum? I did. Uh, it was a little more dramatic than I've just told you. I was going through a roundabout and I wanted to turn left from the right-hand lane, which you can't do, but I was going to give it a crack. <laughs> <laughs> and I had, my, I had my son in the back, who was two at the time, and so I go to turn left and I get cut off by this old red station wagon. And even though it is entirely my fault, I give him the finger, I lean on the horn, oh. and I go, fuck you, buddy! <laughs> and then he put his sirens on and... Oh! Was an undercover cop. No! And so he was quite intrigued about how the morning was going, and so he pulls me over. He pulls me over and he opens the passenger door, and I just started crying as a preemptive strike. Uh, And also because I was mortified, because I'm a good girl. And so he opens the door, and I just start crying. I'm like, I'm so sorry, I got such a shock, you gave me such a fright, I'm just a mum, I'm just a mum. I'm like pointing at my child in the back. My child is like, what the fuck is the circus? Like, just didn't know. So was your child in the car when you shouted out, fuck fuck you, buddy? buddy? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
there's other stories to talk about that too. So, uh, so this cop, this cop is like halfway into the passenger seat, and I'm just like, Mom, I'm so sorry, I'm just a mum, I'm just a mum, I got such a fright, Mom. Like he's frightened by how much I'm crying. I'm also frightened by how much I'm crying. Like I have fully committed. And he backs out of the car, going, "You're all right, you're all right, you're all right." <laughs> and then he comes back, he checks the registration, comes back to the car, and lets me off with a warning. And I was like, that should not have happened. Like that should I? Like that happened six years ago, and I still feel like I should send him some money. Like it was so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so bad. Like I so deserved to get a ticket, but I thought I'd got away with it, right? Because my husband wasn't in the car, and I was like, he's two. No one needs to know. Like, I'm not getting hit. mail in the letterbox. So no one needs to know. I was like, you know, Daddy doesn't need to know about that. Can be a happy surprise. Um, you know, like we, we don't have secrets. We just have happy surprises. So I was like, well, that's fine. We don't have to mention that. But the problem was, it was a roundabout at our local shopping centre that we drove through every time we took my son to daycare. And so every time we drove through that roundabout for the next six months, you would just hear from the back seat, "Mummy was bad." <laughs> have something to tell Oprah. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I detagged myself from a picture at a women's conference where we were all standing in front of a sign saying, empowered, not coward, because my ankles looked fat. <laughs> they did though, they really did though. That's... See, in my head, I was envisaging the picture being like shoulder above. No, so like you've just got like an ankle stuff no. above like. And were you comparing your ankles to other women or was yes, it just? Of course I was, that's all I do. <laughs> what? Who doesn't compare their ankles to other women? Absurd idea. I'm a feminist, but I am quite happy to tell a person in a shop who is trying to sell me something, if I don't want to buy it, I'll say I have to get permission from my husband first. Oh. Wow. Quite happy. He is also, we have made this agreement, so if we have a tradie, like we had someone, like the neighbour down the back wanted to change the fence to like this horrible colour bond fence that we didn't want, and sure. he has my permission, he has my permission to go, my wife won't let me do that, I'm sorry. So we are totally, we are totally, we've got each other's backs. Right, yeah. You, right you, in the patriarchy. You, you basically imply that you have a controlling marriage in order to get out of a difficult conversation or just learn to say no I don't want that I think I'm going to make it a challenge for one of these shows for you just to learn to say no <laughs> fuck you you're not Thank the boss you. of me <laughs> no apparently husband. your husband yeah. is <laughs> sorry we both stepped on each other's punchline there but it was the identical punchline so that's fine I'm a feminist but recently I was infuriated about being trolled and called a c-word on Facebook that's cunt by, by a new male comedian who wanted a spot on a show I was booking and got himself into a tears. And I said to my friend, I really thought by this time in my career, I'd be being harassed by like a Harvey Weinstein or, or a Casey Affleck. I, I mean, I assumed that I would be harassed and marginalized all my life because I'm a woman, but I was looking for something more A-list by now. Because, Imagining myself having to back out of a room of a big-time film producer going, I don't, I don't, no, I don't, I won't stay for the shower, but if you, I'll leave the script there, if you... Just don't want to be, I don't want to be harassed by an open mic. Is yeah. that too much to ask at this point? I'm a feminist, but when I'm the only straight woman in a group of lesbians, I feel like I've let everybody down. I do understand that feeling. 
It's like, it's um, like being a less good feminist, isn't it? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I just haven't quite worked it out yet. Like, I feel... <laughs> Look, I would be a lesbian, but I'd have to ask my husband's permission first. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I got really high with my friend and he was like, oh my God, I love the color of your nail polish. What's that called? And I, in my high subconscious state, just went, whore's vacation. <laughs> because my subconscious mind apparently does not use inclusive language. I was high. Stop judging me, I was high. <laughs> it's a good name for something. It's a good name for a racehorse, I feel. Horse vacation. Yeah, coming up on the inside straight, it's horse vacation. <laughs> Followed by, you can't say that anymore. <laughs> and never should have been able to. Overtaken um, at the last by sex workers holiday. That's what it is. Uh, yes, thank you. Sequel to Roman holiday, bit different, much better. <laughs> Thank you, absolutely. Blame Mandy, who was my friend who bought me the drugs. <laughs> Live from Giant Dwarf in Sydney, the spontaneous show. Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Have you had more of a guilty week or more of a feminist week, Hal? Oh, I think I've had more of a feminist week. I've been all over the Me Too uh, stuff and just been so mm. amazed and moved by everybody's stories and just feeling like, fuck, we're all in it together. Like, it's been really yeah. awful and exciting at the same time. Yes, it's felt like a sea change. It's felt like it's time for hope. And uh, that is why that is our theme for this evening. It's hope. And in fact, it was because I was talking to our guest later on. Hannah was saying that this time last year, she didn't feel hopeful because of Trump. And now there feels something hopeful for women and for feminism. Yeah, what it felt like to me this week was like, because I did a Me Too story as well. What it felt like to me was finally sticking my head above the parapet and making eye contact with all of the other women who had their heads above the parapet as well. Like it sort of felt like, oh shit, it's not just me. Like there's all of us. Like, yeah, it felt really inspiring with all the wine, wine stain. I keep wanting to mispronounce his name, just the, the wine stain. Um, <laughs> With all the wine stain stuff, I feel like I feel like it's a. They've certainly been stains. I don't oh, know if they've been wine. That poor plant. Um, I know. Listen, don't blame me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just think it's. A, I think it's a moment. It feels like a big moment. It does. It feels like a. It feels like we've worked out how many are, there are of us. Yes. And just, I know hashtagging me too isn't itself going to change the world, but it is a door of hope. It's a hashtag of hope. That's what it is. So we did hope challenges. Do you want to do yours? Oh, yes. So my challenge was to try and articulate what I'm feeling hopeful about. And I was writing down all of these words that I was thinking about, that sort of hopeful things that I'm feeling. And I feel like a kind of learner feminist. Like, mm. I feel like I've still got my P plates, a P standing for patriarchy. Mm. Um, <laughs> 
with my husband's permission. Uh, so I feel like I'm, I don't like confrontation. I don't like to make a fuss. I don't like to um, feel awkward. I don't like anyone else to feel awkward. But I'm realising that it's time to stand up. Like, it's time for me to start speaking up and start saying stuff that's important and that matters. And to join in the other voices and to realise that, you know, I have privilege and that if I can use my privilege to amplify someone else's voice, then I should be doing that as well. And, and so I was thinking all of these great, huge thoughts. And I ended up writing a poem that sounds like feminist Harry McClary. Um, Harry McClary, of course, feminist. Harry doesn't shave. Um, and also, this is not anything to do with what I've written, but I just want to tell you, uh, Harry McClary was written in New Zealand. So the Donaldson's dairy that Harry McClary lives at is not a dairy farm, it's a milk bar. He lives at a milk bar. But it didn't work so well as Harry McClilk bar from Donaldson's milk bar. Doesn't work, doesn't work. Uh, but I just like to tell you people who are acquainted with small children and know about Harry McClary. I'm so glad that I brought it up. So, so this is my feminist Harry McClary poem. My hope for the future, here's what it includes. To validate women, to educate dudes. To stand up, not shut up, to step up, to say, this feminist bitch is not going away. To be louder and prouder, to take up more space, to meet hate head on and shout love in its face. To not keep my anger in cheerful disguise, to be one of the women, not one of the guys. To check on my privilege and note when it's there, to give up my seat, to give others the chair. If your struggles weren't mine and our thoughts are at variance, I vow that I'll bow to your lived experience. I celebrate feminists in all of our finery, the women, the girls, the people not binary, because we stand up, not shut up, we step up, we shout. We're feminists, dudes, and we're sorting it out. I loved that. We, we need to put that up somewhere, because everyone's going to want that. Cool, especially uh, given it's the last in the Harry McClary series. Bit of a, ch bit of a change. <laughs> Not just about dogs and cats. Yeah. Please welcome to the stage and make brilliant woohooing noises for the wonderful Cal Wilson. <laughs> So this may seem like a strange place to start, but Enid Blyton gave me hope. I'm not sure whether you are familiar with Enid Blyton. She's a problematic children's author from the early 20th century. She wrote some wonderful books, The Famous Five, The Secret Seven, others uh, such as The Three Little Gollywogs, which we also had as children, starring the three little gollywogs who were called Gollywoggy, and for fuck's sake, Enid, you can't call them that. But she did, and it's out of print, and I think we know where we're going. So I loved Enid Blyton as a kid. I loved the famous five, Julian, Dick and Anne, George and Timmy the dog. Like, I loved them all. I loved the adventures. I just thought they were the most marvellous stories. And so when my son wanted a book to read, I was like, I'm going to give him the famous five. But I let him listen to them on audiobook, because who can be fucked reading to a child? <laughs> That's not true at all. I would read to him every night and then he would listen to an Enid Blyden audiobook to finish off. And so he got up to book five and he'd really been loving them. We got up to book five and we couldn't find it anywhere on Audible. We couldn't find it. We just kept looking on the internet. We couldn't find it. I was like, well, that's a bit weird. But I'd bought him the whole series anyway. And I was like, well, I'll just read it to you. And so we start reading the fifth book and we get three pages in and we're introduced uh, to a character who's described as a very dark boy whose name is Sooty. And his last name is Lenoir. So it's literally Sooty the Black. And so I turn to my son and I go, I think I've worked out why it's not on audiobook. 
so then we have this big conversation about racism and about how we never call anyone anything to do with the colour of their skin these days unless, you know, you're a member of the royal family. Uh, and so you're like Prince Philip, you're going hard. So um, we talked about racism, we talked about, um, you know, how we just don't talk like that anymore, how it's a very old book and times have changed. And then I said to him, look, I'm really uncomfortable with calling him Sooty, so can we just call him Scotty for the rest of the book? And he went, no, read what's on the page. And... <laughs> Because I don't like confrontation, I was like, all right, darling. So uh, we, kept, we kept reading the book. And as we went on, I was reminded of just how dreadful Enid Blyton is. Like, I, I just, I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten everything. I'd forgotten the fact that Anne is always being told, the, Anne is the youngest girl. She's always being told that if her cooking keeps improving, she won't have to get married when she grows up. She can stay home and look after her brothers and presumably drink herself to death. And... <laughs> Then there's George, the girl who wants to be a boy. And the biggest compliment that you can pay George is that she's almost as good as a boy. Not as good as a boy, almost as good as a boy. And I was thinking about it, I was like, what does almost as good as a boy mean? And I've worked it out. It would be that if there was an all-female gathering, George would be allowed to do the barbecuing. But as soon as the men came back in, back away from the grill. Like, that's what almost as good as a boy means. And so we're reading this book and I'm like, oh, this is just dreadful. And the kids are always getting struck across the face by angry adults. Timmy the dog is constantly ripping the throat out of people and not getting put down. Like, there's just, it's just so, it's always like, ha well done, Timmy, you've killed that dirty Frenchman. Like, there's just so racist and sexist. It's like, oh my God, what am I letting him listen to? And so I get on Facebook that night after I've read him some more of the book and I just put the simple post on Facebook and it was just, I had forgotten how awful Enid Blyton is. So racist, so sexist. And then all of a sudden, a massive fight broke out on my Facebook page. And the thing about me is I, I hate conflict. Like, I really hate conflict. Like, I can't stand any sort of confrontation. Like, if I'm listening to talkback radio and the host is rude to someone, I have to change the channel. Like, they could be interviewing Peter Dutton, and I would just be like, oh, don't be rude to the evil potato. Oh, stop it. Like, I just can't say, this is how bad I am at confrontation. I used to be a vegetarian, um, briefly, what, overnight while I was asleep. Like, I, um, I was a vegetarian for a wee while, and I went into a friend's house for dinner, and she had forgotten, and she served rack of lamb, and I just ate it. I just ate it. <laughs> I just hate any sort of confrontation. So this fight breaking out on my Facebook was like my worst nightmare. My 80-year-old father got involved and I was like, oh, I'd forgotten you were here. Like, I keep forgetting he's on Facebook with me. It's like driving to the pub and discovering he's hidden in the back of your car. And then you're getting the drinks in and he pops up at your table with the lemon, lime and bitters going, well, hello, I've got some vintage opinions. So he pipes up and he goes, we read you the books and you've turned out all right. And I was like, no, I haven't, Dad. I hate confrontation. You're fucked up. So, <laughs> so then, then he was like, oh, we just read the books and enjoyed them for what they were. We didn't look for any sinister hidden meanings. And I'm like, they're not hidden, Dad. <laughs> She's literally called him Sooty the Black. Like, how much more... And then another friend of mine who was far fierer than me started having a go at my 80-year-old father. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to kill you. Like, it was just, it was just horrific. And then in the end, I did the only thing that I could possibly do. I deleted the post and got off Facebook. I was like, that is the best way to deal with conflict. Run away! But my son continued to enjoy Enid Blyton. And we were sitting at the table having lunch one day. And he looks up at me, he goes, Mum, who will George marry when she grows up? Because... She can't marry a boy because that wouldn't work and she can't marry a girl because that wouldn't work. So who will she marry? And I looked at him and then we had a big conversation about being transgender. 
Now, I have no doubt, I don't think Enid Blyton intended George to be transgender, but fuck her, she can be on the side of positivity for once. <laughs> so we had a big conversation about being transgender and I talked about how sometimes people are born and they're told that they're boys, but they know that they're girls, or they're told that they're girls, but they know they're really boys, and that we live in a time when they can live as who they really are, and if they want to, there are doctors who can help them transition so that they have the body that they know is really theirs. And I talked about that to him, and I talked about a couple of transgender friends of mine, and at the end of it, he looked at me and he went, Mum... Can I have another sandwich? That was delicious. <laughs> and it made me so happy and so hopeful that he had just accepted that explanation. He was just like, oh, that's how it is for some people. It wasn't any kind of prejudice or anything. He was just like, oh, you've explained it to me. That's how it is. And I felt so hopeful that there's this next generation of kids who are growing up knowing that there is so much difference and so much diversity and that it's okay and that you celebrate everyone for who they are. And I was so proud of him. While this plebiscite is going on, I can't vote because I've neglected to become an Australian citizen. It's expensive, so, um, but my son is all over marriage equality. We went up to, there's a fantastic wall in Melbourne near where I live and it's just got yes painted on it and everyone has written yes and words of love all over this wall. It's so fantastic and he added his yes and this is his take on marriage equality. When he grows up, he wants to marry his best friend, Jared, but he's also gonna marry Jared's older sister. <laughs> because he doesn't want her to be lonely. And I was like, oh, Corey Bernardi was right. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> Thank you. So I wrote a piece about hope that was just my feeling about where we're at now. When I hear futurists talk about the future, they often say things like, by 2035, human beings will be fighting over water, which is ironic, because so much more of the earth will be under it. And I always think the same thing. Can I be dead by then? <laughs> then probably not, unless something bad happens to me and I die early. A big part of me selfishly hopes that I will die old and sated, 110 years of age still doing the guilty feminist. From my bed, with the audience sitting behind a one-sided mirror in a studio theater attached to my house. I'll be able to see them, but they won't be able to see me, except for once a year when I'm feeling particularly fabulous and I decide to push a button on my bedside table and the mirrored wall will roll up into the ceiling and I'll say, welcome to the guilty feminist. And people will say, were you there when she showed herself? I was there, I saw her. She's definitely still alive. I know, or I fear, that in fact, I might be a refugee of war or climate change before I get old. I am grateful every day that I've lived between the middle of the 20th century and the middle of the 21st century in the Western world, having won the lottery of privilege with a ticket that says both white and straight for all practical purposes. There has probably never been a better time and place to be a woman since humans lived on the savannah. I used to assume that things would be even better for women 100 years from now, and even better 100 years from then. But lately, that assumption has turned into a faltering hope. Virginia Woolf said a hundred years ago that in a hundred years' time, no one would notice if a novel were written by a man or a woman. It would simply be written by a person. 
She was super wrong now, wasn't she? <laughs> and my hopes for women a century from now who will be listening to this podcast from their brain chip libraries going to seem as naive as wolves are to me. Hope is the chasm between things as they are and things as they could be. The canyon between the actual and the possible. Hope requires imagination. It is predicated on a careful awareness of things as they are and a shedding of denial. How can women hope for what they're pretending they already have? Oh, we have equality. What are you complaining about? The courageous act of hope isn't required if you don't look down from the tightrope of the patriarchy but pretend that your feet are already firmly on safe land. But it doesn't mean you're any less likely to fall. The gravity of power abuse will have its way. Then you'll have to pretend you walked into a door and that you were not pushed from a height. Hope is predicated on dissatisfaction. A content person never changed the world. A satisfied person has never seen a Goliath and dared to craft the perfect slingshot. But hope without a plan of action is the doorway to depression. Every time we turn what is into what could be, we transform our hope into change. We must learn to change our hopes into actions and when that is done, hope again, act again, change again. Hope that we can help women to have better lives, then volunteer at a rape shelter. Hope that women of color can be heard in a noisy world, then make it our job to amplify their voices. Hope for more women in leadership roles, then mentor girls and women we know and love and pump them with confidence. And any opportunities that are in our gift or could be, if we hoped they were, and change things so they would be. That seems like too much for people like you and me to do. We are only us. We can hope, but can we dare? Sometimes I think, no, not me. It's too hard. I'll be criticized. I'll get it wrong. I don't have time. Where would I begin? And then I remember that my life now in 2017 is the direct design of the hopes of long dead women before me. We live their hopes every time we walk down the street unchaperoned, uncorseted, uncensored. We live the hopes of our great-grandmothers every time we decide if, when, and how to have a child, and each time we don't die in childbirth because they hoped for the medical advances that are our normal. We live the hopes of the suffragettes and the demands of Maya Angelou. We live in a world where a woman can run New Zealand. A woman in Saudi Arabia can drive a car, and a woman in Africa in an area that was colonized and neglected, does not have to die of polio, but instead can start a local business and teach in a school. We are the living manifestations of the hopes of women who are not breathing anymore. We are the thing with feathers taken flight. We are what springs eternal. We are made of hope so we can live it, produce it, and shape it. I hope that we empower girls and women to solve climate change and care for the Earth's resources better. I hope to die at 110 in a bed attached to a studio theater 
My last words being, my last words being, I'm a feminist, but my best memory of when we toppled the patriarchy was what I was wearing. I hope. Guilty Feminist, it's Deborah Francis White briefly interrupting your podcast listening to let you know that there are some shows coming up that you might want to come and see. We're heading back to Australia on Saturday, the 24th of February. We will be at the Royal Theatre Adelaide as part of the Adelaide Fringe Festival. So come and check us out in Adelaide. On the 1st and 2nd of March, we will be at the Cooper's Malt House, Melbourne. Hello, Melbourne. And we will be at the Sydney Opera House for two shows on the same day, two shows on Sunday, 4th of March at the Sydney Opera House. Come and see us there. And we will be at the London Palladium for our 100th ever show in the West End on Thursday, the 24th of May. Some people were disappointed they missed out on the February Suffragette show. So there's another show at the London Palladium with Guardian Live. Get tickets now for the 24th of May. There are other shows coming up in the UK and elsewhere, so watch out for those. And you can get details of any of these shows at guiltyfeminist.com. Please welcome to the stage the fabulous legend that is Deborah Frances White! Hello, hello, hello. So when we decided on the theme of hope, What sprang into my mind is what used to pass for hope in my life. Because when I was a teenager, my family became Jehovah's Witnesses. I was actually born and raised on the Gold Coast. I know I don't sound especially Australian, but I read a lot of Enid Blyton as a child. (laughs) And I picked up the accent from the books. But just to be clear, none of the horrendous racism or classism. My parents became Jehovah's Witnesses and we all basically got brainwashed into it. And I was a bright girl, I was doing very well at school, Um, I was very academic, but if you're told something over and over and over again, and that's how they do it, they make you study sort of every night of the week and go to all these meetings, you will eventually become brainwashed, especially if you're only 14. In the Jehovah's Witnesses, there's always something called the earthly hope. And the earthly hope goes like this. At some point, very, very soon, God is going to destroy everything you love about the earth and all the people on it that aren't Jehovah's Witnesses. And then, don't don't look alarmed, it's not really going to happen. Can't be calm, be calm. I wish people had looked like that when I told them this at the door. They all just went, no. (laughs) This lady was brilliant. Oh, when is this going to happen? I need to, well, what you need to do? God, I can feel the thrill coming back. Um, <laughs> so, the, uh, so God's going to destroy everything we know and love about the earth, all of the people who aren't Jehovah's Witnesses, and then the Jehovah's Witnesses that are left sitting in the rubble of what was the world are going to then have to rebuild the earth into a paradise and then live on it forever. Now, I don't know what your personal idea of paradise is, but the Watchtower magazine's view of the paradise is always very specific. It's always people in national dress passing fruit to one another. (laughs) Always. Just a lady in a sari passing a watermelon to a man in a muumuu. (laughs) So specific. Just passing fruit back and forth forever. (laughs) For eternity. For eternity. And the reason for that is in the paradise, we're all going to be vegan. Uh, 
Now, I'm not going to make any cheap vegan jokes. I think being vegan is entirely ethical, a very good for you. I wish I had the moral fortitude to do it. But the thing is about today's vegans is they do have death to look forward to. Like anyone can be a vegan for 50 to 80 years, but eventually that's coming to an end. Surely around the 10,000 year mark, you're gonna need a four cheese pizza. <laughs> the pictures always then also include like a tiger playing with a baby. And you think, oh God, alert. No, it's fine, because the tiger is also a vegan. Because God originally created us to live alongside tigers and other dangerous animals, and we were all going to be lovely to each other. There's no evolution in the Jehovah's Witnesses' faith. It's all just God just created everything 6,000 years ago. So why have tigers got vicious teeth that could rip you to shreds, you ask? Well, the tiger didn't evolve, but the teeth did evolve. Now, even when I was a very devout Jehovah's Witness, I knew that was bollocks. Like, either, either animals had evolved or they hadn't. The hope was for a paradise, but it was just for one of those vegan paradises. In the Watchtower magazines, you'll also see all the people in the pictures are young, and that's because all the children are going to grow up till they look about 18 or 21, and anyone older than 21, we're all going to Benjamin Button back till we're all like, look, 21. And I know what you're thinking, brilliant, that's an eternal freshers week, but do not get excited because once the earth is populated and full, there's no more need for sex. So it will be paradise. It'll just be one of those vegan, sex-free paradises. <laughs> and then, if you, in any way, if anyone sins in word, thought, or deed, if you think, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be, or if you think, I wish I was somewhere else, or I miss Paris, any of those thoughts, you will immediately be killed, because God knows that you've sinned in thought. So it will be paradise. It'll just be one of those vegan, sex-free, totalitarian paradises. <laughs> And that was my hope. <sighs> that was what I was hoping for. That was the big whoo. And the thing is, I was terrified of this. I was a city girl, and this seemed to be an entirely fruit-based economy. <laughs> Have you ever picked fruit? It's really hard. Like doing an hour of strawberry picking, it's terrible. I just thought, is this going to be it forever and ever and ever? But I just didn't think there was any option because that's what God wanted and that's what God was going to do. So I could either be on that team and serve God or I could be on the bad team of people that were going to be destroyed by the terrible lightning and having their eyes picked out by crows as promised in Revelation. So I thought, well, I've just got to get on board and want this. I've got to hope for the thing that's coming, even though secretly it sounds awful. So what I did is I found a little hope of valves because my whole life was run by men. It's a really, really a patriarchy. There's not one decision in the history of the Jehovah's Witness organization that's ever been made by a woman. The congregations are just run by local guys who've assigned each other as elders. They've just gone, you'd make a good elder, boom, done. What this means is on a Saturday afternoon, two plumbers and an electrician will come to your house and tell you the skirt you're wearing is too short. <laughs> Um, so women couldn't speak from the platform. You couldn't do this as a woman at the Kingdom Hall, which is like the church. No woman can ever speak from the platform. But there were little ways of having a voice. So on a Sunday, you'd have the watchtower study. So one of the plumbers would get up and read the paragraph, and then the, one of the electricians would say, uh, here's a question from the paragraph. And then anybody in the congregation, male or female, could put their hand up. You were meant to say exactly what was in the paragraph, like you'd thought of it. Um, except you were meant to put it into your own words, so they knew you'd understood it. And I thought, okay, I will put it into my own words. <laughs> and that's where I learned to do stand-up comedy. <laughs> it's true. Uh, 
It's true. I used to think, how many times can I get called upon and how many laughs can I get? And that was my mission. And so I would say something like, um, this is not going to be funny to you, but... Uh, the paragraph would say, in the upcoming convention, it is a temptation for some of our sisters, that's what they call women, to dress up in high fashion. It really wasn't. No one was in high fashion. People were wearing old repurposed bridesmaids dresses. No one was in high fashion. Um, but it is best to think of spiritual things and uh, not focus on the showy display of one's means of life, which is a quote from a scripture. And then the question would be, what must we take care to focus on in the upcoming convention? So I'd put my hand up and say, <laughs> microphone, thank you. Uh, I believe the, uh, the title of the next convention is the Divine Peace Convention, not the Divine Fashion Convention. Am I right, sisters? Boom. Now, <laughs> it's not funny to you, but in the Broadbridge Congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses, that killed, killed. <laughs> went down very well they loved it also sisters were not allowed to speak directly from the platform but once a week there was a, what they called the theocratic ministry school and that was where uh, you learnt to go and knock on the doors so we were allowed to do little plays little sketches to demonstrate we were good at knocking on doors and that, so that we could learn to do it and lots of sisters hated this because it was you know it was exposing you had to get up in front of everyone and do a play I fucking loved it obviously so <laughs> I worked out that people would often get sick. So I said to the Theocratic Ministry School overseer, I will understudy for anybody, anytime. And I don't need any notice. I'll improvise it. It's going to be great. I'll add, give me five minutes, I'll turn it around, baby. And so I used to do loads. Most people only did like two a year, but I would do like 12 to 15. And what I worked out was that the Jehovah's Witnesses found nothing funnier than taking the piss out of the born-again Christians. <laughs> so I'd make my householder a born-again Christian, and I'd knock on the door, and they'd say, oh, are you saved? And I'd say, oh, what do you mean by that? And they'd say, is Jesus the Lord and Savior of your heart? And you go, hmm, when you say Jesus, who are you referring to? And I would ask them loads of questions and then show them scriptures until they painted themselves into a theological corner and cried. <laughs> um, uh, so yes, this was like a little hope valve. And then I found out that there was comedy improvisation classes, like theatre sports classes near us. And so I recruited three other Jehovah's Witnesses and we had an underground improv comedy troupe, a bit like a whose eternal life is it anyway. And, <laughs> We couldn't tell the elders because it was so worldly, we were so not allowed to do it. And we couldn't also tell the people running the theatre sports outfit. They just knew that there was something odd because we couldn't do scenes about sex or anything fun because that was worldly. We did a lot of fruit-based work. <laughs> and then the elders found out and that hope valve got shut down. Um, but I always sort of held out hope, even for, the, even for the earthly hope. I used to say things like, in the paradise, well, I don't think women are going to be in subjection to men anymore, because then it's going to be perfect. That's just something that God's put in while the world's the way it is. Because why would God create women and then make men in charge of them? That doesn't make any sense to me. You cannot say that. <laughs> I had two plumbers and an electrician visit me to say I couldn't say that anymore. <laughs> Human beings, wherever they are, will find hope. They will find windows of hope and they will find outs. And one of the things that I think makes you an artist, and this is why I think this women should be doing art in droves at the moment, is oppression. Art is a response to oppression. Art is a piece of hope. Art says it doesn't have to be this way. It could be like this. 
That's what art is saying. Even if art is depicting the worst possible things, the reason it's depicting them is a hope that things won't be this way any longer. And artists find their way out or oppression creates artists. I don't know which, but I do know there's a lot of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses that are artists and they all find their own path. And I know this specifically because on the Gold Coast, all those years back, there was this boy and his little outlet was to dress up like Michael Jackson and do the dances. And he was an amazing dancer and an amazing singer. Now, back then, we knew him as Brother Peter, but you may know him as Peter Andre. <laughs> and a man then to whom all girls were mysterious. And he, I bumped into him in the loo of a studio where he was filming a music video and I was doing something else. It was a unisex loo. And I bumped into him and I was like, oh my God, Peter, I haven't seen you since the Gold Coast. And he went, oh, Deb, oh, this is amazing. Are you not a Jehovah's Witness anymore either? And I said, no, I just, I got to the point where I couldn't reconcile my, my feminism uh, with such a patriarchal religion and the intellectual disconnect between what I was living and feeling was such that I wasn't able to maintain the lifestyle anymore is the, you know, as, as the, 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 the doctrinal hegemony um, be, became too oppressive for the, the, uh, the lifestyle that I wanted to live. And he went, yeah, I just really needed to have sex. <laughs> Hope Valve, thank you very much. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And now, our very special guest, throbbing with hope, Hannah Gatsby! <laughs> Hannah Gatsby, yeah. you said earlier that you were feeling more hopeful this year than last year about yeah. the state of the world. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, it is true, but we need some scale. 
Explain. We need to qualify that statement Go from on. me because that sounds like I'm actually hopeful. What you need to know <laughs> is the baseline that I was working from. Right. <laughs> it, was, less, it was the core of the earth, so you've it's burrowed a little, your way up. Yeah, yeah, it's less dark. Should we be hopeful as feminists right now, do you think? Well, I had to Google hope. <laughs> before I came. Like, I just... It's an unfortunate topic for me. So I am a little bit more hopeful, but it's recent, so I'm no expert, you know? Like, I'm just... <laughs> like, you You're know, an amateur hoper. Yeah, I'm, I'm not intersectional hoper yet, you know? Like, right. I haven't got my head around all the, mm. the good politics of hope, and I'm, I don't want to offend... A sophisticated um, hoper. So yeah. anyone who's I'm, really hopeful... I'm really here to learn. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, my problem with hope is that I have never, ever been able to visualise the future. Part of that's a lack of imagination. Part of that's like anxiety. Uh, and also part of that is when you don't see yourself reflected in the world very much, then you just sort of go, I'll be Timmy the dog, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> this show's so much more in the blank than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I struggle with, with hope because that's pretty much future. It's got a lot to do with hope. Like, the, the kind of... What sparked it for you? What sparked this? I put my bulbs in. It's gardening, <laughs> you know, gardening. Like, it's that sort of, you know... If you put bulbs in, then you have to hope... Yeah, so that's why I started out. a garden, right? And so that's given me a year of future. Like, going, yeah, that's going to put my bulbs in like I can see you know that's how limited my future imaginations are. Uh, no I think it's a really they so, recommend it they do <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know who they are but some people yes they also recommend not to obsess about your ankles but <laughs> part of what hope is is trust like you mm. trust or you hope that because of my lack of future projection what I am very good at is just backward daydreaming and as, uh, you know, I've started gardening and popping a few bulbs in. God, that sounded like I've been doing nangs. Um, <laughs> uh, why do I know that? No wonder I can't imagine the future. Um, <sighs> hey, look, I've looked back in the past with sort of a bit more hope. I've been spending a lot of time searching for forgotten voices, you know, have been lost over time. That's often what happens. The process of history is about the process of, oh, what survived, that's what's important. Oh, I think it's what hasn't survived that perhaps is what is important, what is missing. So if you think about history, it's bones, bones survive. And we're going, yeah, bones are good. And I'm like, yeah, we need, probably need to look for some soft tissue. Um, <laughs> do you know, like what we don't think is important because we've forgotten. I think that's at the root of my newfound hope uh, is that uh, I'm looking to the past with more hope. <laughs> so you, it's sort of like what, what's... I sort of think I know what you mean. It's like what... I'm hoping I'm making what, sense. What, is it, are you saying like what stories that haven't been told? So I told a story in a recent podcast about Amelia Lanya, who I think is Shakespeare's sister. So you know Virginia Woolf's thing about, well, Shakespeare's sister would have ended up in the gutter. Actually, Amelia Lanya is... Uh, she's the first uh, female... Ever. Uh, 
No, she's not the first female ever. Oh. She was the first... I haven't got that far in the past. She, <laughs> she was the first professional English poet. Um, so she was the first woman who sold her poetry for money because she needed money. She was Elizabethan. But we never hear about her. And I think she's the answer to what happened to Shakespeare's sister. Oh, well, you know more than I do. You're, an, you're a historian. I'm an Elizabethan, you were going to say. You're an Elizabethan yourself. Oh, I like a starch collar. You do. Lead makeup. I love lead makeup. <laughs> very, very pale. I like the pale. I could see you rocking an Elizabethan ruff. It would really shit me. Like, just the. <laughs> like the it'd be so scratchy. No, it's true. And it I sometimes forget to get undressed when I go to bed. You know, like, <laughs> it would just fucking drive me mad, but I'm too lazy to do anything about it. So I'd be yeah. so underslept. You can't sleep in a rough. That's rough when Rough I want. sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but she's. But basically, we never hear about her because she's a woman. So, do you mean the things that we leave out of history, that history is told with a patriarchal voice, and so we don't really see what happened, and we have to excavate a bit that, more? That is a, a part of it, but also part of it goes beyond that, and that is the framing of the contribution. Like uh, equality mean can sometimes mean in people's head that we are equal to men, and we can do anything that men can do. I'm starting to worry that the idea of making your mark is a destructive idea and I'm thinking perhaps why we haven't heard of a lot of women is why they're actual heroes because they are the soft tissue, they're the ones that stop things from being broken. What are the things we're emphasising out of history? You know, mm -hmm. history is about turning points and how things change. It is uh, progress. We almost have this sort of bias toward the future, like the present, we're nailing it heaps better than we were, and so we're going to go to wherever. And I'm like, I think we should pause and maybe sidestep a few bits because we're fucked up a lot. Mm. So why we should, we should probably pause a bit and check out some things we've missed, gather that shit up into our supplies. I mean, it's apocalypse in my head. I see what you mean. You were questioning. I'm spending a lot of time alone. Yeah. <laughs> but you're questioning everything about the way society has progressed and developed and what we call progress. Yeah. So you're saying, yes, it was great for someone to make their mark and invent the aeroplane, but that has led to climate change, which might make us extinct. So maybe like put a pause on progress and work out how we're going to reverse some of the damage we've done and also look at how we're looking after people as human beings rather than just making more and more sophisticated smartphones for us to ignore each other with. Yeah, I think basically also what I'm saying is what we need to do is invest in the labour of care, in, mm. you know, the labour of production. So it's, you know, it is to put place more value on things that cannot be measured. You know, oh. things are so heavily biased toward what we call masculine traits, which we do need. I don't think that, you know, men are shit. Like, power corrupts. So it's just like, you need to... Whoever you, know, you give power you, to yeah, you need to let whoever go. takes so, power like, corrupts, yeah. you know, So I'm sure we'd, you know, women would fuck up just as majorly. Like you said, clearly, there's you know, men and women and the spectrum between. That means that, yeah, we're probably all... You know, there's strength in diversity. So I, I don't know where I was going with that, but it was going to be so good. No, I feel... Oh, I, I think we're almost somewhere. on something there. I know, I think... I think I see, I think I know where you're going. And oh. it's basically, I'll take us home. No, no, just start me off and then I'll finish okay. my own. I mean, what are you, some kind of man? 
You were talking about the labour of care. Labour of care. Yes. Labour of yes. care. Oh, thank yeah, God. Yeah, that's... Well done, Cal. Yeah. The, the thing I'm really struck by, I'm just going to set you off on a tangent again, was, was your analogy of we've got the bones but we don't have the soft tissue. So we can find out what we know about that person that they were six foot and that they drove a chariot and everything. But yeah. we don't know whether they were fucking hilarious or whether they really loved their dog I or... Think, uh, yeah, I think we're absolutely too, too obsessed with what survives. And assuming that or it survives because it's the survival of the fittest. And it's like, I think we need to redefine what we think fit is. Um, <laughs> because, you know, like, uh, you know, to use a you know, very clumsy metaphor, bones are the, you know, strengths of men and soft tissue are the feminine strengths. And just because we don't have to make sure feminine strength lasts forever. I think it's more important that the idea of feminine strength is respected. Um, but, uh, so I'll try and keep it uh, less in my head. Um, do you think there are like masculine strengths and feminine strengths though? I think, I think it's it, on the, it, it goes on the spectrum, but we've developed this idea of it. So we can't just undo it because it is a language that we have and we need in order to communicate to keep hold of language, but have a flexibility of evolution in language. So my, <laughs> we have to really stop being so defensive about changes in language and challenges to language because you know when you think about the way we phrase things like you go to school to get ahead you know humans race where are we going well why is this a competition because uh, when we get there what, 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 what are we gonna fucking do um <laughs> like I, I just you know so all this so, you know you go to hospital to get better and i'm like we should just recover. <laughs> like, what are we getting better? Like, sounds like, oh, fuck, I hope I, hope I improve. Um, it was do like, you think human... I, see, I think one of the things about human beings, though, is we aspire. Like, yes, we I do... I think we should inspire. I think that's the difference. I don't think we should be looking to the future. I think we should be looking to the very moment and hope to inspire people in the future as opposed to aspire to be an individual that fucking... There's a sentence. <laughs> fucking... Yeah. I think, I, I, oh. I think, I think to, I, you know, I hope to inspire. I don't know, I have to hope that I can and I can't, you know, if you imagine, you know, how can I predict what is inspirational in the future? I can only try to make positive influence in the sphere that I have. Mm. But trying to project into the future, I think, is a very dangerous game. I find it great difficulty trying to, with the marriage equality uh, debate, because I really care to change people's minds. You know, people go, oh, it's, you know, 60% voting yes, and I'm like, 40%, who the fuck are these people? <laughs> and why do they hate me? You know, like, and, and why, why can't we have civil conversations now? Not for positive change in the future. Why can't we have, you know, these big adult conversations like adults? I don't know, I hope. I had a point, but uh, no, 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 maybe no, looking back, know. maybe Tom can find one. <laughs> <laughs> looking back through what, I, what that shit I just no, left I, in the I, past. No, it's a really good. It's it's a really good point because actually, if sixty percent of people crumbs up there, like I don't know. we had a quiche backstage. <laughs> we did. We had a vegan pie. We, we did our um, bit. <laughs> we did have it. You're right. If 60% of people vote for marriage equality and 40% of people vote against it, you still want to change the minds yeah, because of those people who voted against it because you're still living in a society with those people. Oh, and also, this debate is being divisive. Like, people who vote no are the furthest from changing their mind. 
They are willfully voting no. People aren't entering into debate. No one's listening to the other side. And that, to me, is a far more devastating response than if no one. The damage is being done in the way that we're speaking about each other. And it annoys me so much that they can play the victim. But you have to be civil and you have to try and change people's minds because even if marriage equality goes through, these are attitudes that have stayed even though we thought it wasn't this bad. And yet, oh, there they are. And that's the problem with not engaging and trying to appeal for change and just thinking being right is more important than respecting humanity. We have to learn to live with people who don't agree with us. We just have to. And I don't see that. That is my biggest fear, that we are just nasty. Even people with my politics, we're nasty. Mm. Twitter troubles me for this reason. Oh, you're the, blame Twitter, are you? No, I'm uh, no. I, I just defended Twitter there. I did a poor the, job. The, the, I think Twitter encourages hostility and people coming in with the most aggressive version of their no, opinion. No, Twitter is the social media equivalent of Cal in a car. Doing that. <laughs> it's like you're in a bubble, you do not have to face another human being, you're just a mum and you go, fucking <laughs> Because you don't, ha and then as soon as you're like, oh fuck, it's a human, and then you're like, you brought back, you brought, snapped it out of the bubble. Twitter is a bubble. But there's That's all interesting, so Twitter is just loads of people cutting each other up but it's in also, cars. It, it's also a positive vacuum where it's, you know, like mm. they can create, so it does reflect people, like it's not Twitter's fault. It just reflects how we communicate. And mm. this is a communication that has been developed. It didn't just happen. We didn't just decide to be, you know, deaf prick biscuits just because... <laughs> What's that? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it sounds so... like a heavy metal band to me, deaf prick biscuits. Oh, it sounds like something on a fancy menu, like at the end of a meal. Like, I don't oh, think it's that these... fancy. That sounds like a, you know, when... I've not been on one, but those... Hens things. Hen nights? Oh. Yeah. Have you never been on a hen night? I mean, I think it's supposed to be celebratory. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like having a hen night just so you can come on it. I don't think now's the time <laughs> to invite me into heteronormativity. Could be it's really sandpapery at the moment. <laughs> I want to organise the first gay hen night in Australia and just uh, invite you. Don't Cal will feel like she's let us down. <laughs> <laughs> Mummy was bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, um, <laughs> I, I did some filters there that I don't normally do. Um, <laughs> I shut that valve down. So it, what can we do in our hope for the future for feminism? What, well, what can we do to doing exactly the right thing here with this podcast? Because we're in the moment, we're being humans, we're trying to learn, but then we're putting it out. And that's precisely what art is. It's not about making your name, although that's kind of what it's become, you know, like the great artist, genius, inspired, you know. But I think it's more to do with giving, just sending these little messages out to the future. We don't know what people need to hear in the future. I don't think Virginia Woolf knew just how important she'd be mm -hmm. for so many women. And perhaps there's other women that have created stuff that was really important to them but we haven't needed yet or something. 
So I think we have to really pay attention to the past more than we do and not just to dig up women to make them equal to men, but really think about what we've historically valued mm. and devalued. That's a really good reframe. It's not just about women being promoted into capitalism and the destruction of the world <laughs> so that we can destroy it twice as quickly. Um, sort of if we get everyone on but the case... But with more emotion. Yeah. Uh, oh. Not more emotion, just different emotion. Men have plenty of emotions, but those emotions are all punching. <laughs> punching and shooting are their emotions. But we have more sophisticated emotions because we've been trained to allow them. The patriarchy fucks men over daily to makes them suppress everything. Poor loves. Poor little lambs. They think they can't cry in public. Well, I think that this is exactly what I'm talking about with this, you know, making priorities of what survives. And it's the strong, and it's these things. And like, I feel badly for, and it pains me to say it, I do feel badly for young men. Because they're still learning, and they're learning that they're assholes. <laughs> and and that's, not, that's not fair. That is not fair on young men. We should be teaching them. We, you know, when people are challenged, they get defensive. We need to learn how to encourage people to get past that defensiveness. And that's when people start to hear. So I do feel badly for young men because we are just like, oh, men, you know, straight white men, you know, like, and it's like, oh, God, they are going to have the next revolution because they are just going to have such poor self-esteem if we carry on like this. You know? I really hate the men are trash hashtag. I hate it. Can't bear it. And I, it's because partly I hate it because I'm privileged and so I think which men are trash? Like there's disabled men, there's transgender men. Like I, I really find it very difficult. She hates men. She's just... You're backing her up. Me too. Me too. Ah. Uh, if you're listening at home, someone's just walked out because I no, said I hated the I'm men of trash hashtag. I'm sure they just had a bus to catch. I'm sure. I mean, I think we have to look at ways to diffuse the men's rights. You know, it stands to be quite infectious. Because life is hard for everybody. Everyone struggles in their own way. So, men, you know, I mean, they're assholes. <laughs> Because they're blind to you know, understand that what they do does continue to oppress other people. But you cannot change the fact that they do feel pain. They do feel that they're being you know, annoying. So we have to become smarter. Mm. Like we really do need have to... The, have, yeah, have because the there's no point just going, you're wrong and being right, right. And then that stops. 50 years later, it's a fucking movement that will then... Do you know what I mean? We have to change people's minds, not mm. develop a majority because that minority become, can be, you know, they're toxic and they're rising. <laughs> no, I'm I a absolutely of hear that. I've seen I it before. I absolutely hear. So it is our job, if you're privileged and if you've got the time and the energy and you think you can do the emotional labour, we need to try and engage and we need to try just, and The only thing discuss. you can do is your sphere of influence. Yeah. That's all. Like, I think reaching out online is a mistake. Just your sphere of influence. And it takes time. It's not going to happen in our generation. So we have to put the work in and hope it takes hold. We have to be for What's the it? next generation who those women were for us. Yeah, and it's no point trying to go, you know, because then if you're trying to enact huge change, you become impatient and that's when you get frustrated and you speak to people uh, the very same ways that have oppressed you. Even if it's from a position of, you know, disempowerment. Don't mock me. Um, so, the, yeah, so you have to, I think that's, you know, we have to learn to 
Because when I was, during the debate, the gay you know, legalisation debate in Tasmania, that is a significant difference to this debate. I knew who hated me and I knew them as humans and I knew, I knew and loved a lot of these people. So it, I was very invested in changing, and that's why I'm so good at, you know, framing the gay marriage debate now, is because I learnt to try and change people who I loved and had a real reason to change their minds. And they, you know, so this debate is really distressing me, like I said, because it is cowardly. You know, I'm tired, I don't have the energy to accommodate no voters. I do want to punch them in the face like I'm angry. But, you, you know, it's not, it's not really, it's no. going to make things worse. Has anyone got a question that they would like to ask? G'day. G'day. Hey. G'day. Hey, what just a how you doing? Just stop. Yeah. Like if someone disagrees with you, don't talk about the topic. Talk about them. Talk about things that you might have in common. Mm. Often we find that what people who vote no are thinking about are fairly similar to yes voters. It's concern about things. And we have a responsibility to enlighten people. But we also have a responsibility to the possibility of being enlightened by them. We might not agree with their politics, but perhaps what informs them is a genuine fear that we can address and become a team. We have to be a team. Uft, what's happening to me? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Who's here from their charity? Oh, you are? Okay. Can we, grab, can we get the mic over to you? Hello, what's your name? It's Viet. Good name. Thank you. Do you want to tell us about your charity? Well, I work for Save the Children Australia. Lovely. Um, you might know about them. <laughs> um, I, I think about the children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so we just work for children and young people so you, around the world. Were you, were you, did you, you just said, oh, I work for a charity. Was there somebody in who was meant to be collecting for their charity? <laughs> Because <laughs> I don't want to, I, I want to hear from you as well now, but we'll I don't want to cut that person off. <laughs> I sent an email about that. Yes. Maybe. Yes. Yeah, that was you. Okay. <laughs> That's why Save the Children. I'm just so happy so... that I'm not the only one who spends a lot of time alone. <laughs> okay. Well, Sorry. then you can both collect. Did you bring your tin? Yes. Brilliant. Okay. Did you well, bring your tin? We can't not save we the children a tin now. Off. Okay. Um, you can collect yours in a pint glass. So Save the Children, quickly just Thank tell you. us about Save the Children. Just say... They save children, yep, Deborah. so we're in... <laughs> it's implied. Yes, yeah, so we're in 124 countries around the world. Great. 200 sites around Australia. And if and we put money in your bucket tonight, you will take it back to them, yeah? Sure, yes. And I've sure. got a present for you as well. <laughs> this is a huge um, trust exercise. Present for you. You've got a present for this me. Is the, this is hope. present for you. <laughs> what have you got for me? Yep. A child. She's got a child. She's saved some children. She's just a mother. I would love that. If you have saved a child for me, I'll be incredibly thrilled. <laughs> I mean, how old is it though? Um, no, seriously, what's your present? Um, it's just all natural, plastic-free um, skincare. Oh. And it's um, just what? paper packaging made out of wow. magazines. And it's all like native Australian things. Oh, okay. As well. <laughs> I really missed nice. something. What the I... fuck? Is that who's that made by? Me? That's your company. Oh, what's that yeah, company called? It's called C Bomb. 
And then you can one on the floor. Them. There's heaps on the floor. They've been yeah. dropping on They're the everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> and then if we broken. could, can you just on can your way at the door, the mic over the to what's your name? Caitlin. Caitlin. Super. Thank you. Well Caitlin. And Caitlin's <gasps> going to pitch Capable. her charity. And Caitlin's brought her tin. Okay, great. Caitlin's brought her paper cup. That, that pleases so me. Less, um, less impact. I'm a TAFE student who is organising a fundraiser for Manly Women's Shelter. Um, they receive no federal or state funding and they're the only shelter in the Northern Beaches that accept women without children, which I think is quite an important thing to do, really. I didn't even know Can that. I get one of yeah. those I think perhaps children? Seriously, save the children. <laughs> so I might need... This is not... I got confused because I'm a literal thinker. <laughs> the manly women's shelter. <laughs> Perhaps you shouldn't leave with that. I swear it's a suburb. It's a suburb. It, it exists. I know it's a suburb, but I'm just saying, like, oh, it took me. And it, I nearly shut down. I'm like, oh. No, I am now... <laughs> men's rights group. I'm going to have to give such a huge donation to the Manly Women's Shelter. I'm giving my fee. I'm giving my fee. Are you? Yeah, I'll give my fee to... I'm giving my fee to the Manly Women's Wow. Nice. Do I get paid? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, but it's I don't okay. have. No, I, I don't fine. have children. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. You'll she be doesn't have children. So Hannah's going to donate her fee, which is so nice. And if everyone else could put some money in the bucket, if you've got any, there's no obligation. You've paid for your ticket. Please don't feel pressured. But if you've got uh, five dollars or ten dollars or anything you've got, even a dollar, they'd Coins. really appreciate it. Yeah. What, sorry? Coins are fine. Coins are fine. I don't know. I'm just, you know, coins are fine. Oh, yeah, you know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> just give if you can. And thank you very much. And where can people give online to Manly Women's Shelter? I think it's like manlywomenshelter.org. Okay, Google it and Google give some it. money if you're It'll at home. Be great. <laughs> All right. Google it with a rise We're nearly home. Cal, oh. can you please... Viet, you gave Deborah a prison, so you've given Deborah some skincare. What have you got for me? <laughs> She's just mouthed fuck off. That's what she mouthed. She didn't. She didn't know I was coming. Um, I'm sorry, She's I just a mum. <laughs> I'm so. Um, I'm... I think I might have even said I'm so frumpy. I don't know whether I really did. Read um, this. I will. Follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter at GuildFemPod. Check out our Instagram, instagram.com slash theguiltyfeminist. Like our Facebook page. Sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please go to iTunes and rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast. Go, uh, go there, rate it uh, as many stars out of five that make up five. That's lovely. And, and Hannah, do you have anything to plug? You got Nanette coming up in Sydney? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> How Australian did I just... Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. Oh, ah. I got a fucking nah. No, I'm... <laughs> I'm doing... I, London. I'm doing a run in London. Oh, great. Well, the podcast goes there. 
Cool. It's a podcast. It's next international. In its I don't nature. know when that starts. I think it's next weekend. It starts, like, but I don't know what that. But you're happen. generally doing the net the show. Have you got anything yeah. else? Book coming out? Anything else you want to yeah, say? Yeah, but later. It's not even fin- quite finished, so I okay. feel bad about plugging a book Look at that ha- I may just give up on. <laughs> <laughs> you will not give up on it. Go to Hannah Gadsby's website and find out all the fabulous things she's doing. Cal Wilson. I have a kid's book out next year. don't know what it's called, but it's definitely being published. They promised. Uh, and... Sooty. <laughs> the well human. Done. Um, uh, and also, uh, I'm touring my show. My new show will be the Comedy Festival, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide. It's Hindsight. That will be coming out at various points next year. And I'm pretty happy with my poster, but you'll have to wait and see. That's I also have a podcast called Global Pillage and you can go find it at globalpillage.net. It's like a sort of comedy panel show except we let women play. I did Global Pillage and it's the first time I've ever been on a panel show that was all women. Oh, really? And we were all hilarious. Who knew? I know. <laughs> women are funny when they get allowed to be together. It, it's so funny. Like so many times when you get stuck with an all-male bill and you're sort of sitting on the end and you're trying to get in. And I give up. I, I'm so shit on panels. I've never done well in a panel show. Because I'm just like, oh, you've got it covered. <laughs> you know, why would I compete? Oh, yeah, sh- you've done a shit joke on the fly. There you go. You can have it. <laughs> <laughs> you have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co host, Cal Wilson, and our very special guest, Hannah Gatsby. Sound engineer was Alistair Wallace. The producer was Tom Zalinski for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to everyone at Giant Dwarf as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Follow the Gimini... The Gimini... <laughs> Follow the Gimini Feminist. Um, That's all, folks. <laughs> The Gimini Feminist on Twitter, Shemakada, Instagram. Instagram, the Gimini Feminist. Deal with that, Solinsky. <laughs> I'll start again. Do you think Tom will leave that in or oh, get rid I of it? I think he'll put it as the little cap at the end. I love you to Mom Solinsky. <laughs> Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com